This is New York. 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 Each episode will take you to a different New York City neighborhood, and today we're going to Harlem. I'm sitting here with Gustavo Solis. He's our reporter in Harlem. He's covered the neighborhood for the past year and a half, and before that he was a general, a general assignment reporter for us. Uh, before that he also worked at the Miami Herald. Thanks so much for coming in today, Gustavo. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Cool. Um, we're just going to jump right into it. I just wanted to ask you, is there any, what sort of the stories that you've been following in the past um, year, is there anything that keeps sort of butting its head up? <laughs> well, there are a couple of things going on in Harlem um, that have been going on for a while now, and they sort of tend to manifest themselves in different ways. Um, two of the big ones now are sort of this issue of, of um, gentrification and lack of affordable housing, and then uh, the, the homeless issue um, that's been going on um, and in East Harlem the um, homeless issue is not new there uh, it's been a- around for years and um, residents and advocates believe that that's because there is um, an oversaturation of uh, homeless shelters uh, methadone clinics um, and and they just kind of come together in East Harlem, specifically in uh, sort of the area around 125th and Lexington, um, where, where for years you had this situation where there's a, a really big homeless shelter in Ward's Island, Randall's Island, and the only public uh, transportation to and from the island is a bus that drops people off right on that intersection, 125th Street in Lexington. Um, but what ends up happening in practice is they leave during the day and just end up um, you know, hanging out in that intersection. Have you covered any updates about any improvements to that situation there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the city has done uh, something. And to their credit, the, the 25th Precinct really stepped up in terms of enforcement. Uh, and this really started last fall when the, the issue of synthetic drugs and, and K2 started sort of popping up. Um, and it was, you know, police basically tracked down i mean and it really wasn't all that hard or hidden right if you walked down an intersection you could see uh, discarded packets of k2 on the ground you know you could see people smoking it on the street uh and then what the the 25th precinct did they just sort of stepped up enforcement efforts you know they they visited uh, along with the health department each of the bodegas who they thought were selling it and said hey just so you know this is you can't do this anymore and if you do we're going to come back and you're going to get in trouble and they followed up um, with just, um, I guess they would call them inspections, I would call them raids, um, just to sort of, you know, see if they're still being sold. Um, and on top of that, they also, the precinct added a, um, what they call mobile command uh, center, which is just like a, a huge truck, almost like an RV, um, that basically cops can, can work from and it's there on the street and it's a visible sign of their presence. They parked it right on the intersection 125th and Lexington and that really helped. Advocates have complained that other city agencies didn't really step up um, to address the root causes of homelessness or, or drug use in the area. So what ended up happening was 
people essentially just migrated from that intersection um, west to Marcus Garvey Park or north to Harlem River Park or really just south to 116th Street. Great. For the rest of the podcast, uh, we're gonna we're gonna spend it with Elsia Vasquez, who's a woman that um, you've worked with on a number of different housing stories. She's um, a housing advocate in the community. Do you think you could just give me an introduction um, to who she is and what she does for Harlem? Sure, Elsia is a, is a really interesting uh, lady. Um, she is the founder and and director of uh, Palante. Uh, which is a tenant advocacy organization. She does everything uh, from helping people who are being evicted or being uh, harassed by their landlord or really are being overcharged. Um, she organizes uh, tenant associations and rent strikes, and she really, um, she, I guess she would see herself as being on the front lines in this um, sort of battle that's playing out in Harlem. So we're going to go hang out with Elsia for a bit now. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today, Gustavo. Oh, no problem. Uh, have, have fun with Elsia. As I tell all my tenants, are you either fight now or you fight later? But either way, you're going to have to fight. If you're living in a rent-regulated apartment and you live in New York City, whether it be Harlem, Brooklyn, wherever it is, you have to really assert your rights um, because if you don't, the owners are going to take advantage of you. My name is Elsia Vasquez and I'm the founder of Palante Harlem. Palante started unofficially in 2006 as a regular tenants association of three buildings belonging to one landlord. His name is Elon Zinner. He's at the business today. And we like to believe that we had a lot to do with it. Back in 2006, Elsia was working as a financial advisor. She'd grown up in Harlem on 134th Street and moved into her own rent-stabilized apartment on 145th back in 2000. But she was embarrassed to take friends to the building. Crackheads lingered in the lobby, there were dirty needles in the stairwells, and the landlord didn't seem to care one way or the other. When her next door neighbors moved out, they left a bunch of furniture and junk in the hallway right in front of her door and no one cleared it out for days. She'd had enough. And I told the landlord, I said, listen, you know, you have to get these public areas cleaned. And he basically told me to go fly a kite. So I told him that I'm gonna make an example out of it. After speaking with him that day, I came home with a vengeance. And since I lived on the fifth floor, it'll give me the opportunity to talk on everybody's door. And it turned out that my apartment looked like Fifth Avenue compared to theirs. And, you know, they looked at me, they laughed at me at first, like, you're complaining about the public area? They said, well, come into my apartment. And there you got to see the black mold. You got to, I mean, there were people with cascading leaks above their bathrooms. And I had to ask them, how do you use the bathroom? Some people used to put a plastic bag where the water would just go right into the tub. Others said, look, I have this umbrella here, you know, whenever it comes up, it to me just seemed un unrealistic. So those guys told us about my neighbors next door that was also belonging to the same landlord. And then those guys told us about the, one, the other building on 141st Street. Then those guys told us about the building down in the village, the two buildings in the village, and we organized against him. Not only did we, we freeze our rents, we took him to housing court, but we also took him to the state Supreme Court 
for unlawful deregulation of our apartments. During that time, we were all together, you know, um, tenants from all walks of life, and we would all go to court together. We would um, hire taxis to take the senior citizens to court. And our goal was that when we walk into that courtroom, we all go in together. Towards the end of the proceedings, the landlord had to present the judge with a new building manager that would start caring for the building. And they were presenting this guy that's going to manage this building. One of our tenants from another building says, no, 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 no. He used to own my building. That's my old landlord. And when we told that to the judge, the judge was like, she had egg on her face. She's like, oh. oh. And then at that point, I'll never forget, she, you know, she took a deep breath in the room and she took off her glasses. She took a five-minute recess and she came back and she took all three buildings away. I lived in the worst building on that block. And right now, that is the most beautiful block in Harlem. Um, they consist of mostly rent-stabilized units in that block. And, um, and the landlord has been fired. By 2007, Elsia and the Tenant Association had won repairs for three buildings owned by their landlord. But that was just the beginning. You know, when we were organizing, we found that there was a need. And we evicted the super, and that became Palante's first office. So the tenants in the neighborhood got to hear, they got to see the progress, and they came to us asking us for help, and we wanted to help them. So I had two jobs. I used to come back from work at 6 p.m. I managed not to travel anymore. And, um, and then from 6 to 10, we will help the community. And we build tennis associations on the block, and those tennis associations also asserted their rights to live in habitable conditions. In 2009, Elsia quit her day job and started working as a tenant advocate full-time. Word of what El Palante was doing spread across the neighborhood and beyond. Now they work with tenants all over the city, though most of their clients are in Upper Manhattan and the Bronx. What has changed in the past decade since you started organizing here? It's gotten worse, um, meaning the predatory landlords are coming in a lot bolder. Um, The... The tenants have become older also. I think that there's a playbook that slumlords have. Um, There's definitely a playbook that they're reading out of. And one of them is that uh, the predatory equity landlords, when they come and buy uh, buildings in our community, they immediately discontinue the services. Essential services like gas, elevator services, uh, trash disposal. So the community residents who are used to living in habitable conditions are faced with construction, while they have no cooking gas, um, it disrupts everything. Uh, we've also found a lot of suspicious fires. Um, it's almost like going back to the 80s, to be honest with you. We step out of Elsia's office on 126th and head down the street to a client's apartment nearby on Frederick Douglass Avenue. Campus. We're going to Frederick Douglass. Right now we're on Morningside in Convent. And she's Antonia Square on 120 what? She's at uh, 2359 Frederick Douglass. It's 100. 120 what? 
Yes, I, and I had a, a big headache. <laughs> sí, porque no, no sabía dónde yo iba a ir. I didn't know where I was going to end up going. going. <laughs> she heard about Palante through a friend and got in touch. Soon they realized Antonia's landlord was illegally overcharging her. Bueno, la, eso me cambió de que una, me puse feliz de que ya no me iba a mudar, de que los, los dolores de cabeza... I was happy because I didn't have to move. The headaches had ended for a moment. I realized I had a lot of rights. I could live better in this apartment. Before, they didn't want to clean, they didn't want to do anything. When Palante came, things started getting better bit by bit. It was kind of beautiful because you think you're going to have to leave. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know what kind of people you'll have to deal with. To have a safe place for your son and your family is the best thing you can hope for. Antonia got $14,000 back that she'd been overcharged, and she got to stay in her apartment where her and her 13-year-old son had lived for eight years. And Antonia beat her landlord on a rent overcharge, and he has had to give her her money back. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's Gracias. good to hear. <laughs> 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 and the fight continues. <laughs> 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 So slumlords have a playbook, according to Elsia. But in the past decade, it seems like Elsia has developed a playbook of her own. It is better to fight as a group as opposed to individuals. It's about knowledge. It's about outreach. It's about really telling people, look, here are your resources. Here's, here's what you got. The community is waking up is probably the only thing that I see that has changed, and I'm really proud of that. Do you ever think that your work will be done here? Oh, no. No, I think there's always going to be work. As long as there's rent-stabilized apartment, and as long as there's low-income people, our work will never be done. to Elsia Vasquez and Palante for their help on this episode. You've been listening to This Is New York, a podcast for DNA Info New York. Music this episode, as usual, comes from The Silent Partner. I'm Gwen Hogan, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>